So we'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 54, if you want to take your Bible and turn there with, with me. Uh, it's an unusual passage, actually, to preach for Father's Day, and while it's not directed to fathers, God does liken himself to a husband with a wife and children. In fact, the Lord, uh, if you listen as I read, is going to be using three different analogies to describe his relationship to his covenant people. Isaiah 54, I'm just going to read the first ten verses. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right, to the left, and your descendants will possess the nations. And they will resettle the desolate cities. Fear not. For you will not be put to shame, neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced, but you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the, man, for the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit. Even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. For this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the waters of Noah should not flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. For the mountains may be removed, and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. This passage begins with an analogy of two different women who serve as pictures of what our relationship to God is like. From these two women, we learn three things about our relationship with God. First, we'll learn about miraculous births. Second, we'll learn about a miraculous marriage. And third, we'll learn about a miraculous life. First, let's look at the miraculous births, verses one to three. Verse one says, shout for joy, O barren one, you have, who have borne no child, Break forth into joyful shouting, cry aloud, you who have not travailed or been in labor. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. So the first woman brought forward for us to examine is this woman who's barren and desolate. She's never been in labor. She's not able to have children. Yet, miraculously... She's having so many children that they have to expand their dwelling place. Enlarge the place of your tent, verse 2. Stretch the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not, lengthen the cords, strengthen your pegs. You're going to have so many children you won't know what to do with them. She's having so many children 
that she's repopulating the nations with them. Verse 3, for you will spread abroad to the right, to the left. Your descendants will possess the nations. Resettle the desolate city. Okay, this is a prophetic image, a word picture of what's coming through the servant, the Messiah. Prophetically, it means the children of this woman will fill the nations, plural. Like Sarah and Hannah in the Old Testament, the births of this barren woman will be miraculous. Not by human effort, you see. We don't see the ultimate fulfillment, obviously, until Isaiah, of Isaiah 40, 54, 1-3 until the New Testament. And if you remember when we studied the book of Galatians, Paul quotes Isaiah 54, 1 in Galatians 4, 27 and applies it to those who've come to faith in Jesus. Born again from above. That's what it was pointing us to. A miraculous new birth through the Holy Spirit. Christians, you see, throughout history since that time have spread out, obviously, to all the nations of the world, and we've seen the prophecy come to fruition. I believe the, the new birth in, in, in Jesus is the fulfillment of this passage, as Paul reckons for us. But what is Paul getting at by linking the barren woman to our new birth in Christ? I'll tell you what. You know, we have some sense deep down of what God wants us to be as a person, why he created us. Uh, and we know deep down we fall very short of that ideal plan of who, uh, who our best self, of who God wants us to become. And I believe what Paul is saying when he brings it forward to Galatians is this. You and I, all of us, are all spiritually barren, desolate. We can't have, there's no fruit. We can't do it in the flesh. We can't become the person God wants us to be in the flesh. Any more than a barren woman can give birth to a child. We can't become what pleases God by trying harder. Can't do it. Unless there's a supernatural intervention by God himself. A miracle. New birth. In ourselves, we're spiritually barren, but when we believe in Jesus, guess what? We're born again of God's life in the Spirit. Who is fruitful and powerful? It's something that God has to do for us. We can't do it. God's miraculous intervention to transform lives is a repeated theme and picture throughout the Scripture. Abraham's life would have been a disaster unless God intervened. Sarah was barren, could not have children, until God intervened. Jacob's life would have been a disaster unless God intervened. Moses' life would have been a disaster unless God intervened. David, Peter, Paul, you, me. We might ask, why didn't God choose better material to work with? There is no better material. <laughs> We're all sinners. Fail miserably, powerless in our flesh to become the people God wants us to be. The main theme of the Bible, the core thought of our redemption, 
especially in Isaiah, is that God has intervened miraculously, sent the Messiah. We cannot save ourselves from the penalty of sin nor the power of sin. We're all spiritually barren, disconnected. We must be born again through faith in Messiah. That's the first word picture, the barren woman. Until God intervenes, we're powerless, fruitless. There's a second word picture, though, of a woman to consider in our relationship with God. It's the analogy of a woman in a, what I'll call a miraculous marriage. God can not only bring life out of a dead womb, he can also bring life out of a dead marriage. The picture we see in verses 4 to 10 is a wife separated from her husband. Here's 5 and 6. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken. Now he's talking about his people in this relationship, spiritual relationship. Like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit. Even like a wife of one's youth when she's rejected, says your God. Now the text here does not tell us why they are separated, God and Israel. But we see why in the context of Isaiah. So back in Isaiah 50, verse 1, Israel is depicted as a wife of the Lord, kind of this intimate relationship with God, and God is Israel's husband by covenant. Thus says the Lord, where is the certificate of divorce by which I've sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your iniquities and for your transgressions. Your mother was sent away. What did Israel do? Well, God is pictured here as a loving husband who lives in a committed covenant relationship uh, with Israel, his wife. He cares for her, nurtures her, protects her for centuries. But then Israel... His wife goes after other gods. She commits spiritual adultery. Worshipping idols. What does God do? When Israel puts herself in the arms of other lovers. By the way. Don't. We do the same thing. With our little idols of our heart. We put ourselves in the arms of other lovers. God withdraws from her. Isaiah 54, 7 and 8. For a brief moment, I forsook you. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you. Now, hiding his face basically means he, God withdrew his protection from Israel. And first comes in Assyria, the nation of Assyria. Then comes Babylon. Israel's conquered, taken into exile. She's separated from God. What will happen now? Well, here's the amazing thing about Isaiah 54. (laughs) This incredible passage. This passage, there are astounding juxtapositions of words in this text. I want you to listen. Isaiah 54, verse 5 and 6. Listen to this. Your creator, your maker... The Lord of hosts, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, who is God of all the earth 
is nonetheless your husband. (laughs) And the Lord called you like a wife forsaken. Now, (laughs) listen to me very carefully. Spiritual adultery. I mean, they violated the covenant repeatedly. Sometimes for centuries. God says, at one point, his anger got the best of him. What do I do with a wife like this? Covenant I made with them. I want you to notice what God doesn't say to her in this passage. He doesn't say, I see you're upset. Good. (laughs) You had it coming. Doesn't say that. The distress they feel was their own doing. But their distress deeply moves God. Deeply moves him. And the most amazing thing of all is what we see in verses 7 and 8. For a brief moment, I forsook you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But everlasting, but with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Why was God's wrath short-lived? He says, it's because of my loving kindness. The Hebrew word for this is chesed, chesed. A word which describes the strongest love attachment a person can have. His chesed, covenantal love, will overcome his wrath. God's chesed love is a committed love. It's faithful. It doesn't stop for anything. It's deep, abiding. Hesed love is based on the character of the person giving it, not on the person receiving it, whether they deserve it or not, see. Hesed comes from the heart of the person giving it. They will remain faithful. Now here's where I break away for a bit uh, to say a word to husbands and fathers today. I believe this is the model God puts forward for those of us who are husbands and fathers. Just like him. Here's the deal. Uh, Maybe you haven't discovered this yet. Uh, I know it's hard to believe. But our wives and children are not perfect. They're not. They're sinners. Uh, And surprise, surprise, surprise. Unlike God... Neither are we, husbands and fathers. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. We're going to get angry and upset. But in our marriage covenant, hesed love overcomes anger and wrath. It's a committed, abiding. Do you have hesed love, covenantal love for your wife, for your children, faithful abiding, I challenge you to think about that's God's love for his children who went off the rails. 
The thing of it is, here's a very important point. You can only have and give Hesed love if you first experienced it from God himself, the source of it. If you don't know what that tastes like, you're going to have a hard time understanding it. You must experience it first. Feeling, in a sense, deeply how God loves you when you don't deserve it. He's been faithful to you. Think of all the times. It's amazing. Well, what's happening here in Isaiah 54 is that God intervenes and says, I'm going to renew and heal the marriage between you and I, and nothing will be able to break it again. And we're going to see how he'll do that in just a second. We will never, he says, be separated from God again. Verses 9 and 10. For this is like the days of Noah to me. I'm going to make a, I'm going to vow. This will not happen again. Just like the rain he promised Noah. I'm never going to do that again to the earth. This is like the days of Noah to me when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. So I've sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. For the mountains may be removed, the hills may shake, but my loving kindness, my hesed love, will not be removed from you. My covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. God says the mountains will be removed, but not my love. Our covenant with God is more enduring than the mountains. Wow. I'm anxious to find out how God's going to pull that off because we're still sinners <laughs> deserving of his wrath how can he make that promise how in the world will this be ah the miraculous life through faith in Jesus the Messiah the miraculous marriage opens the door to the miraculous life the miraculous births we see in Isaiah 54, 1-3 are ultimately fulfilled, as we said before, in the new birth in Jesus. The miraculous marriage that's restored, verses 4-11, to 11, is ultimately understood in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 54, 6 and 7, God says to his people, I abandon you. I forsook you. Twice he says that. Lord has called you like a wife forsaken, grieved in spirit, even like a wife. One's youth when she's rejected, says your God, for a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I'll gather you. What you need to know is the word forsaken, is the word sabatini. Zabatini. It's the same Hebrew word used in Psalm 22, verse 1, which Jesus quoted from the cross. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Why have you forsaken me? Huh. You see, Jesus, God forsook him because he stood in our place with our sin, took it on himself. He was forsaken. So we don't have to be forsaken. That's how God can make that promise. I will never forsake you ever again. 
God hid his face from Jesus when he took our sin on himself. And here God's ultimate justice for our sin came down on him so we could experience God's chesed love. Boy, how can God forgive us the wrongs we've done? Because he paid it himself. (laughs) The cross shows us how God can be both infinitely holy and just and infinitely loving at the same time. I've said this before, but in my mind, 1 John 1, 9, which many of us know by heart, is a pretty audacious verse. It says, if we confess our sins to those who are in Christ, to those who have believed in him as their Messiah, their Savior, if we confess our sins when we do, we do sin against God, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why will God forgive us our sins when we confess to him? Because he's just. Wait, doesn't he just forgive us because he's merciful and compassionate? Yeah. But he also forgives us because he's just. What does that mean? If God accepted Jesus' punishment for our sin and justice, his justice was satisfied, then for God to punish you would be unjust. It's, it's already been settled. If you are in Christ, there's no condemnation from God because of what Jesus has done. That's why this marriage is a miracle. God intervened. We were all going astray, as the previous chapter said, like sheep, we're all going astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And because of that, the end of chapter 53, he's going to justify many, declare them righteous. If you believe in Jesus for eternal life, you will be born again. God's spirit gives birth to new life in you. And you enter a marriage, literally this analogy, you enter a marriage covenant with God bound by his Hesed love. It's just an amazing thought. And because your maker is your husband, this text affirms three things, if that's true. You're in a covenant relationship through the Messiah to your God, your maker. First, because God is your husband, if you go astray, God promises to call you back. (laughs) He will be calling. The Lord has called you like a wife forsaken, grieved in spirit. Second, because God is your husband, you can forget the shame and reproach of your past. Isaiah 54, 4 and 5, fear not. You will not be put to shame. You and do not feel humiliated. You will not be disgraced. You will forget the shame of your youth, the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more, because your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of Hosts. We could plunge our failures into God's grace. It's kind of what he's saying. Here's a great example. Apostle Peter, 
Jesus warned Peter before he went to the cross that he would deny Jesus three times. And he did. Peter failed miserably. So after the resurrection, when Jesus met him, I think it was on the beach, Jesus did not say to Peter, you blew it, man. You, whoa, you are such a big disappointment to me. You promised you wouldn't do that. He didn't say that. You know what he said? Do you love me? Do you? Do you love me? Let's restore this relationship right now. And for every time he denied him, three times he expressed his love for him. So, you can forget the shame and reproach of your past if you know him as your Savior. Third, because your maker is your husband, you can bear spiritual children, as this passage suggests. We bear spiritual children by sharing our faith and the love of Christ with those who don't know him, those who aren't part of his family. When, we, when they believe in Jesus through our word, they are born again through the Spirit of God. And we become, the New Testament analogy is, we become their spiritual parent, <laughs> continuing to expand and fill the nations with God's children. Miraculous children, miraculous births. And that's what we're called to, to do, to be. Bringing it back to the whole idea here, this chapter begins by really suggesting we are all spiritually barren. Without God's intervention, we will never be connected to him. We need the servant that he sent to be our savior. He intervened. He sent his son to take the penalty for our sin. And if you've never experienced the miraculous birth, the new birth in Jesus, through the coming and giving of the Holy Spirit, I invite you to be born again by God's Spirit, by believing in Jesus for eternal life. Please, if you want to talk further about that, please talk to me or Pastor Dennis or any one of the elders or anybody here really that knows him. And as for us husbands and fathers, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love your children. Don't exasperate them. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your steadfast love, your hesed love, your loving kindness, which in retrospect we see what you were talking about in Isaiah 54 and what Jesus did for us and demonstrated your hesed love for us when he took our place to receive your judgment for our sin. How can we say thanks? We will spend eternity just, just trying to do that. But we do thank you, and we pray that you would help us live the new life you've given us 
the miraculous life, not a life in the flesh, but a life led by your spirit to accomplish the things you've created us to do. We ask for the grace, power to do this in your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.